You might as well just walk up to Cupid while he's on his lunch break, you know, cranking a beat or something, and yeah. right in the face, punch a little baby right in. <laughs> we'll see that. We're almost uh, three minutes into our sports podcast, and yet to bring up not one sport. Roll out, Come on, You over there? You over there? All right, welcome in episode 98 of the Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Sedan. With me, as always, Spencer Maddox. We are remote today, and I think it could be the greatest recording of the Hot Grits Podcast of all time. We are national champions, Spencer. We are World Series champions. We are champions of the world. The globe has been saved. Georgia sports has been saved, and I think we deserve a lot of credit. All is right in the world. Titletown, USA. We are now national champions, and Alabama is dead on arrival. What a game last night. We're recording this on Tuesday, January 11th. Um, all of you clowns who are hating on Stetson Bennett, that's you, Spencer. That's who you were. That's you hating. as well. No, that's who you were. No, that's hating you on as Stetson well. Bennett. I don't even know who the backup quarterback is at Georgia. Stetson Bennett for MVP, probably a first-round draft pick. In fact, if you go back and listen, I defended Stetson Bennett more than you did, although I was pretty much on your side that if something bad happens, you got to pull Stetson. I was pretty much there, but I did defend Stetson. I said they could win a national championship with Stetson. Remember that? I changed my tune on it, though. I do remember that. I changed my tune on it and said I think they can, but I don't think they will. And look, today, Tuesday, after the game, there's you know they're all coming out of the woodwork. Oh, we told you guys that Stetson Bennett was good enough. We told you that it could work. I'm yeah, I don't not, remember anybody saying that beforehand. Right. I'm the happiest person in the world that I was wrong. I'm, yeah. so, I'm so damn glad that I was wrong about Stetson Bennett. But here's the caveat. Don't shame us for wanting a five-star quarterback who's 7-0 at Georgia, don't shame us for wanting him to play over a walk-on against a team, the specific team that had beaten Stetson Bennett time and time again handily. I mean, nothing before last night's game, before the national championship, led us to believe that Bennett could do it. He proved us all wrong. He changed his life forever. I mean, I was thinking about this last night, Spencer, during our Twitter spaces. Obviously, Kirby's smart. His life's changed. Every player on Georgia, you know, they're forever national champions. But Stetson Bennett just radically changed his entire life. Whatever he goes on to do, you know, it's probably not going to be a professional quarterback uh, in the the NFL. But if if he's selling insurance somewhere, if he has his own real estate company, or if he's doing whatever, he'll always be Stetson Bennett the man who brought a national title to Georgia. And for that, you know, I, I'm super happy for him. And I, I just can't imagine what he's feeling today and what they're feeling. They'll probably down have in a Pierce job County. at ESPN within three years. You think so? Probably. I mean, he'll, he'll get a shot on an NFL roster. He'll probably make a practice team or two. I, I don't, I don't mean to still continue to doubt Stetson Bennett, but. Sounds like think, it. You know, he'll, he'll get a shot at it. I doubt he'll get drafted. That would that would be a long shot, but just because he's undersized and, you know, what is this, his fifth year? Like, they tend to like younger guys in general and taller, bigger, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, the story the story of the game, obviously Stetson Bennett was the feel-good story, but the story of the game was Georgia's red zone defense, right? Like, it has to be. They Alabama got the ball down, like, three, what was it, three or four times? And – Georgia just stonewalled them, dude. They couldn't move from there. I even, uh, I think I said in our Twitter, or uh, it was either in our text thread or in the Twitter space last night, uh, when Georgia scored, they were up one at the time. They scored a touchdown, and I was like, you got to go for two here. And they didn't go for two. They kicked the field goal, they kicked the extra point to make it an eight-point game. I was like, you just never do that. You you always go for two to make it a two-score game. Uh, then I really thought about it, and I was like, "They haven't. They Alabama hasn't been able to punch in from the five 
all game long. So I guess if you're Kirby Smart, it makes sense to go ahead and make them have to cross the end zone twice and take the easier point with the extra point. I don't know. I kind of wanted to hear what you thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think so. Red zone scores, Bama was four for four, but they were one for four in terms of scoring touchdowns. They were not scoring touchdowns. The field goal um, that they missed, which came after a 17 play drive, uh, the field goal that they missed was outside of the red zone, uh, or I'm sorry, was inside of the red zone. So they were three for four on field goals total, but one for four on touchdowns inside of the red zone. Georgia, meanwhile, three red zone opportunities, two touchdowns, and a field goal. Um, I mean, I didn't have a take on the two-point conversion. I, I, I don't know. Like, they'll defer to the book or whatever the chart says, you know, like time and score. Well, um, I can go ahead and tell you, you never, ever, ever do that, especially in a big game. Like, the math just does not make sense. You always Repeat it to me now. Repeat it to me which what, what scenario you're, you're talking about. You're talking about after Georgia's, Georgia. Georgia's up by one. They punch it in. That puts them up by seven. Okay, this is in the fourth quarter towards the end of the game, before the interception, obviously. Mm-hmm. They then elect to kick the extra point to put them up by eight as opposed to going for two and putting them up by nine, effectively sealing the game. If you have the chance to seal the game with the ball in your hands, you do it every time. That's that's just how the math works. So they, no, they I'm, with you on that. Kick, I'm with you on that. They elected to kick the extra point giving Alabama the ball with an opportunity to tie the game. At the time, I was like, that's the most asinine thing I've ever seen. I cannot believe that just happened in a national football or a national championship, much less a Division I game. But when I really thought about it, I I mean, because, of course, Kirby Smart and those guys know the math. You know, they have to. When I really thought about it, I guess – it makes sense. You you have to make them cross the line twice. You have to make them cross the end zone line twice in order to tie the game up. So I mean, I still wouldn't have done it, but it it makes sense whenever you in context of how well that Georgia defense was playing, especially in the red zone. I mean, they just they couldn't get over the line, man. Every time they came up big, but I I still wouldn't have done it to be fair. And but it didn't matter because they got the interception, the pick six, the game was over. No, you're right. You're right. I, I didn't think about that at the time, but, you know, that would have obviously been a huge Kirby Smart talking point. But now, oh, dude, yeah. after they, they win. an all-time flub if, if they had come down the field and scored and then converted the two and then lost the game, God forbid, it would have been over with. And what about if Georgia loses? What percentage of the fan base blames strictly the refs and strictly some of the calls in that game? Oh, uh, 100% of the casual fan base would blame the refs. Because there were moments that you could point to, you know, the Bryce Young fumble that turned into an incomplete pass. Later on in the game, almost an identical thing happens to Stetson Bennett, um, and it, the call stands. Uh, the fumble the fumble that the Alabama player barely recovers in bounds um, leads to a touchdown for Alabama, and it leads – to Bryce Young, really, Bryce Young played still, I think, pretty well. But like we talked about last episode, he couldn't play great and Georgia win. And I don't think he did play great. I think he played good. I think he played right. I don't know that Stetson Bennett necessarily like outplayed Bryce Young as much as we'd love that to be the storyline. But I do think Georgia's defense and their four sacks – on Bryce Young, rattled them come time for the fourth quarter. And then the Ringo interception, which will go down in Georgia lore, um, sealed the deal. Uh, Spencer, last night I texted you and I said, this feels nothing like the Braves game. This feels nothing like the World Series. I don't know if it's better, worse, more important, more meaningful, but it felt completely different. Do you agree on that? It did feel different. Also, like I was like, I was watching with one Alabama fan, and I noticed during the game he was, like, not nervous at all. And I was like, I, I, I hope that's never me. You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. This dude's won so many national championships and so many titles that it just means very, very little to him. 
So I hope that's never me. On one hand, I hope I do. I hope our teams do win that many, but I hope it always matters. But the for me, it it, it mattered. But we had already kind of gotten the monkey off our back with the Braves, so it wasn't like the same uh, level of just like for God's sakes, just win one. It for me, it was more okay. Don't blow it, like because I can't take that anymore. That was that was where I was in terms of uh, fandom. I, I really wanted Georgia to win one, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. And look, we'll let, we'll talk about the fourth quarter here in a second. The numbers, you know, bear out that it was it was trending that way. That Georgia was holding on for dear life. They did look a little bit gassed. I mean, there were key plays um, that stand out. The Jimmy Cook run up the middle that he ended up getting chased down on. Um, it was a huge play. I think it was 66 yard right. run. But the fourth quarter stats that I'll tell you, Spencer, are pretty, pretty alarming. But first, I'm going to talk about Coach's Corner. Our title sponsor on the Hawkers podcast had been for over a year now. Uh, Coach's Corner 3016 East Victory Drive, 912 352 2933. They were litty last night up at Coach's Corner for the national title game. I went up there beforehand and people were parking across the streets everyone was just woofing at each other there was just dogs barking everywhere and people were having a great time although the falcons aren't in the playoffs the nfl playoffs are starting up so go watch over at coach's corner the super bowl in february coming up as well plus all the nba and college hoops that you could want cold beers hot wings 1.96 billion televisions Tell your server or bartender that we sent you, and they'll hook it up. 912-352-2933, coaches.net online and on Facebook. Check out Rubbin' and Grubbin' with Brandon Bain, the NASCAR show, also on the Coaches Corner Facebook and YouTube, as well as Carl Demasi's local sports show on Saturday mornings on his Facebook page, as well as YouTube and the Coaches Corner Facebook page. Spencer, in the fourth quarter, of the national championship game. Alabama ran 28 plays to Georgia's 14. Wow. Doubled them up in plays. Alabama for the game, 85 plays. Georgia, 56. The fewest amount of plays that Georgia has run all season. And for me, Spencer, that was testament to Georgia knowing what it wanted to do, and when it got its chance up by one in the fourth quarter, it held on. And that's something that they've never really done. That's right. something that they haven't really done. And, and, you know, I forget who it was, but somebody made the point in our halftime Twitter spaces that Georgia's always been ahead of Alabama, especially early in the game. I mean, all four times that Kirby Smart had lost to Nick Saban, they, Georgia had been winning by 10 or more points. Think about that. This time, it was the other way around. Georgia down early, not by a lot, but it was 9-6 to six or 6-9 six to nine for a long time, it felt like. And then Georgia just hung in, they hung in, they hung in, and then they made plays when they had to. Well, I, 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 would, I would like to see, if you have this in front of you, what Alabama's longest play of the night was. Because I know Georgia's average play had to have been way, way more than Alabama's because they got yards in, ch- in chunks, especially in the fourth quarter. That like that's a testament. the The amount of plays is a testament to how many yards per play they were getting. Because I know a few of those. One of the scoring drives was like four plays. You know, for who? Georgia. For Georgia, yeah, right. And we're um, just getting them in chunks. And I even texted you. I was like, Kirby Smart pulled an Uno Reverso card on Nick Saban because I, I still had some complaints. Uh, still a lot of like second and long run calls. Like a couple, I think third and like mid like five run calls that I really hated. But for the, for the most part, the game plan was a whole heck of a lot less conservative than it had been the last time these two teams met. They were going over the top. They were looking for the, they were clearly looking for the big play, which you, you have to do. And that's what Nick Saban has done over and over and over again against Georgia. So it felt like, like I said, an Uno reverse reverse card. You know what I mean? Like they flipped the script on him, and I was really happy to see that. I, I could not be more happy with the – I mean, I have notes, but I could not be more happy with the game plan and how they they made adjustments. 
it, it early on in the second half, it looked like Alabama was again going to make adjustments, come back and beat this Georgia team, or not come back. They were down, but you know, I, I, I guess come back, beat this Georgia team, and Georgia had answers. So I was I was really happy with that. I wanted to get your thoughts on the adjustments. So I don't have in front of me the longest play from scrimmage, but I do have 6.5 yards per play for Georgia versus 4.7 for Alabama. So that does, you know, that does speak to what, what you're talking about. I can't remember. Any, over 50%. You know. Over 50% what? More per play. Oh, wow. Not a math guy. Never been a math guy. Um, I, well, I got you. listen, to your point uh, about the adjustments, I think that there were some subtle adjustments made, um, not only by Todd Munkin, the Georgia offensive coordinator, but also along the offensive line, Georgia moved Sawyer, uh, who was getting abused by Anderson 31, the left, um, from left tackle to the inside. And then they brought in another left tackle and that seemed to at least slow it down a little bit. Although, Spencer, have you ever seen a defensive end impact a game so often as 31 did for Alabama? He was jumping the snap every single play, it felt like. And they were, Georgia was trying to chip him. They were trying to use tight ends, running backs to block him. They were trying to run at him, run away from him. Nothing would work. I thought for a minute that this – and I do think if Bama wins that game, Anderson may be the MVP. He may be the MVP. So Georgia struggled blocking him. Um, for most of the game, but fortunately for them, it didn't matter much. He was all over the place, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was all over the place in the SEC championship game as well, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he really yeah. was. Um, what did you think of the uh, probably the biggest touchdown, um, in recent Georgia memory was the throw from Bennett, uh, into the end zone? To what was it? Um, Ad Mitchell, I believe, caught it. Yeah, it was Mitchell. I thought it was Pickens at first. So, one hundred percent. Distribute the percentage of responsibility for that play. Great throw versus great catch. I knew you were going to come with this, dude. It, I mean, it has to be asked, right? Uh, it it wasn't a like perfect throw, uh, but he put it he put it in a place where his guy could go up and make it uh, like make a catch. You know what I mean? So I give it 30% throw 70% catch. I mean, it was a all time catch, maybe not all time catch, but it was up there in terms of biggest catches. You know, it was a fantastic catch. I'll give him that 70%. is what I'm going to say. 70% catch. Yeah. I'm with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. Let me ask you this and then we'll get off of, Stetson and JT forever. Does Georgia win that game if JT Daniels plays? I don't know just because, I mean, Stetson clearly turned it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. The After the, after the fumble, I think he was like six for six, 80 yards and two touchdowns. I, I don't remember that graphic perfectly. It was something along those lines. I don't know if JT Daniels comes in there and does that. But then again, maybe JT Daniels doesn't have that terrible fumble that gives Alabama the chance to score right there. That man, it looked like it looked like we were going to have another Georgia moment when that happened. Yes. That was unreal, dude. The, the the fact that that guy, I mean, he wasn't even making like a heads up play. He just like grabbed the ball and was just trying to be nice and hand it back to the ref. And he somehow stayed in bounds. I'm getting on a tangent here, but I, I no, you're good. I think I think Stetson came in and won the game. I don't know just because JT Daniels is such an unknown. I don't know that he comes in and wins that game for you. So I'm going to say no. I think if JT Daniels plays, they probably lose. Um, but so I, I so I thought, um, and you brought up second downs earlier. I thought this was a, and this is always key. One of the things I look at in any football game is on third down conversions. Don't look at the first number. Look at the second number. How often yeah. how often are you forced to try to get a first down on third down versus how often are you getting first downs on first and second down? Alabama had 20 third downs in the game. They converted nine of them. So they're nine for 20 on third downs. Georgia only had 12 third downs the entire game. Now, right. they only converted four of them, 
And that speaks, I think, to what you were talking about in the first half, especially on those second downs. Here's how Georgia started the game. This is what they were facing on their second downs. Second and 24, second and nine, second and eight, second and 14, and second and nine. So, and I believe both of those second and nines were run plays because uh, I think that's what I was yelling about. That that type of thing drives me nuts because you're not fooling anybody and it has no chance of converting. You know right, what I mean? Right. It, but continue. Um, nothing. I mean, I, I just think that there were moments early in the game where Georgia could have let it get away. They were very sloppy uh, with penalties. Um, Jake Camardo was their best player in the first quarter. Um, the punter and Georgia, look, Georgia had two penalties, two punts and one yard through two drives. So, you know, it could have gotten away from them if the defense didn't hold Alabama to just three points. The third drive of the game is when Georgia found something, at least something, right? Roughly seven minutes. It took them to get down and kick a field goal with uh, three twenty-six left in the first quarter was when the drive started. Um, I was I was thankful that Kirby Smart never uh, wavered, never thought about going for it on fourth and seven or things like that, that he took the points. And that's what I wanted him to do in the SEC title game. Take those points, add points to the board, and then let the defense be the reason why you win or the reason why you lose, not the offense. And I think that's what Georgia did. They finally played a complimentary brand of football. Right. Um, no, I'm with that. I'm with that. And the defense stepped up big, man. As much as they were maligned in the SEC championship game, and obviously they were, they were allowing Alabama to move the ball, don't get me wrong, but they stepped up big when they had to. The Obviously the interception was the play of the game. But to me, it's Alabama had so many chances to score in the red zone, and I don't know that I've – I don't know that I've ever seen an Alabama team not convert – like you – you think they get two of those in at least, right? Right. If yeah. They run it back 10 times. They at least get two of those in. So those, that was huge. And that really won them the game, man. Cause they could have been down. Like you said, they could have been down 21 to three or 21 to six, whatever it, whatever it was at halftime very, very easily. So I think they were both fortunate and their defense stepped up, which is what you really like to see. Also shout out to me. This is flu game part two. Every time I mute the mic, I'm coughing like crazy. Flu Lost game part two. Flu game part two. Yep. This is when they need us. This is when yep. they need us. Um, all right, a few more things on the national championship, then we'll move on to um, a, a couple other non-Georgia football things. Um, in the broadcast, Spencer, did you did you have any thoughts about the broadcast, the commentators, the commercials, anything like that that stood out for you? I got a couple. No, this is your bag, dude. I, uh, I didn't even have the. I didn't even. I couldn't even hear it. The volume was low. I was at a party. I'll never understand why Holly Rowe wore crimson along the Alabama sidelines as the. Yeah, ESPN you kept bringing reporter. that up, dude. That story is just a non-starter for me. Listen to you. me, bro. It's their, co- it's their team colors, and she's wearing them while interviewing Nick Saban. She wants to match, dude. She's trying to look fly. The other sideline reporter, I think it was Holly McGrath, was wearing a neutral black and gold dress type of thing while she interviewed Kirby Smart. Yet Holly Rowe wearing her crimson. And then one other thing, when when they cut when the broadcast cut in between the first and second quarter to the montage of Georgia winning in 1980, they were showing Vince Dooley and Herschel Walker and Georgia beating Notre Dame in the 1981 Sugar Bowl. It was completely muted there was no sound to it at all no sound to it at all yet when they showed highlights of alabama's you know second and 26 with tua um chris conley catching the pass that he shouldn't have caught in the 2012 sec title game the audio was completely fine for all that but not for georgia's one national title uh in 1980 that pissed me off too so those are my thoughts on the broadcast in general. They're about to get you, dude. That's what's going on. Also, nobody could get this right. Uh, they were all trying to reference Larry Munson's, man, there's going to be property destroyed tonight. 
nobody could get that right. They were all saying there's going to be property uh, uh, messed up. There's going to be property torn up tonight. Just get the quote right if you're going to reference the great Larry Munson. That's all I ask. Also, maybe don't quote that in 2022, you know? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, one more shout-out I got to give. destroyed this year. True, true. One more shout-out I got to give. On um, the pick six heard around the world, the one that sealed it from Ringo, from Keely Ringo, um, the lead blocker down near the goal line. Was Your boy. Four, was 4-7 Danny Jackson. Your boy, Danny. Danny Jackson. The world was against him. Nobody thought he could do it, including you. You were against him. I was very against him. I was very against him being on the team, being on the roster, and being in the same time zone as the rest of the team. Uh, But that was a key play. I mean, that was a key lead block. Pickens. It was awesome. What about Pickens, dude? That that throw to Pickens, he's targeted only twice. Yeah, that was early in the game, right? Yeah, but it just felt big, didn't it? It was big. It felt like, hey, we got a guy too. You know what I mean? Why can't they get this guy more involved, dude? What it, what has he done wrong? Well, it's I do like, think they were shadowing Pickens whenever he was on the field, um, pretty often. But uh, you know, I I don't know that if he's healthy, he's not targeted way more than than right? twice. I see. I don't know. I at this point, I don't know how good. I know George Pickens is good, but I don't know how good he is. In my mind, he's. In my mind, when he's healthy, he's their best offensive player, bar none. But I, but I don't I don't know because he only gets targeted twice in that game. Uh, the tight end the tight end's name who's escaping me currently, what's his name? Uh, Brock Bowers. Yeah, Brock Bowers. They they tried to get him involved as well, but they it didn't seem like they could get him as involved as they want to either. Mitchell comes up with the big play. I don't know. That was that was strange that they didn't target picking. I felt like they didn't get him involved enough, but they won the game. So who am I to say? No, I mean I think Bowers was going to be because Saban talked about it all week. Bowers was going to be a real big emphasis for them, and and he still made plays. I mean he scored a touchdown there at the back end of the game. I think yeah before the interception that was probably the you know the biggest play of the game before the Keely Ringo um, pick six, but. I don't uh, know the Mitchell. The Mitchell touchdown was pretty, pretty ambitious. True, that's true. Um, but look, Bowers four receptions, thirty six yards. McIntosh three receptions, twenty three yards. Ad Mitchell two receptions, <coughs> fifty yards. Um, so nobody with more than four catches for Georgia, and nobody with more than fifty two yards receiving. Uh, the leading receiver for Georgia. Spencer was George Pickens, one catch for fifty-two yards. Crazy, so pretty nuts. Was that and that was the longest play that, other than the rush? I guess that was the longest play of the game. Um, yeah, the uh, James Cook's sixty-seven-yard run would have been the longest play for Georgia, and then the fifty-two-yard catch for Pickens. Let's see, for Alabama, um, they had a sixty-one-yard play on a catch. Um, their longest rush of the game was 16 yards. Alabama rushed 28 times, Spencer, for 30 yards. That's what you like to see, man. 28 times for 30 yards. Pretty, pretty nuts. Made him one-dimensional. And 16 of those came on one play. Yeah, that's true. What percentage is that? Uh, what would you say, 38 uh, 30. I'm going to go with not great. Not great at all. All right, anything else from our national championship victory? I can't believe they won, bro. Nah, big time dub. What a year. Big time what dub. a year to win to win a World Series. Um, let's not forget the Savannah Bananas Coastal Plain League title. Just saying. And Georgia winning the national title. Is this a 2021 Title Spencer forever? It is, right? I think it I think it counts for 2022. But I mean nobody ever says Georgia won the Natty in 1981, even though they actually won it in 1981. You're right. I don't know. College football is the one that's different because the the championship happens so close to the new year. You know what I mean? 
Oh my God, I know. I mean, what else is new? College football, getting it weird, getting it wrong. Um, all right, uh, let's leave. I, I'll say this, dude. Go it ahead. opens up the window, right? It opens up the window for 2022 for the rest of the for the rest of the squads. You know what I mean? The team that shall not be named. A trade deadline coming up. You know, maybe they make some moves. Maybe they get a title in 2022. Maybe we keep it in Georgia. Maybe we keep this ball rolling. You're talking about the uh, you're talking about the professional basketball franchise in Atlanta. The professional basketball team that plays in Atlanta. Yes. Hmm. We are. We will get to those guys soon. But first, I want to talk about the Globe. The Globe, Spencer, in the news heavily this week. And yeah. I know. I know your phone was getting blown up the way my phone was getting blown up. Absolutely. Didn't we tell you guys? Didn't we tell you guys over the summer? Didn't we tell you guys six months ago? What was going to happen? We said Starbucks. We said Chick-fil-A. We said the Globe's not fucking going anywhere. But I love, how, I love how people were chirping at us on our – or not chirping, but people were on our, uh, you know, different social media pages, and they were saying, oh, they're not destroying it. No shit, dude. Hey. Yeah, it's like, dude, we knew that. Attention. We Damn. told you guys. And Parker's – for all their glory, and just to be clear, I've reached out to Parkers. I tried to ask if they would have somebody on. Brittany Bertram, their um, communications director, and Greg Parker, the CEO. No response from them yet. Uh, not surprising there. But look, here's the thing with the Globe. They don't get the credit. They they can have it. They can have the credit. We're not in it for the credit. But Yeah, we're in it for the Globe, dude. But we got to be clear about this. They wanted to move the globe, but it was a terrible PR decision to destroy the globe. Then they tried to relocate it. They couldn't do it because it was too expensive. They tried every avenue to not have that globe there. And it turns out it's in their best benefit, both financially and public relations wise, to leave the globe where it was. So while they I wonder why it's in their best interest public relations wise. Yeah, I wonder why. I wonder tip why. of the spear. Tip of the spear. Hawk Ritz podcast. Love so it. whenever you ride past Durant Avenue and you see the globe, just know that there's people out there looking out for the little guy, and it's us here on the Hawk Ritz podcast, not yes. a franchise convenience store. Um, one more thing I wanted to point out about this, Spencer. How many people have you seen on social media talking about Oh, the traffic's going to be terrible now. It's going to be so much worse. The traffic, the traffic, the traffic. Do they not realize that part of the blueprints and part of the plan is adding extra lanes onto Durin? And there's going to be a drive-by lane inside the shopping center? So I, I equate it to um, on Abercorn, um, sort of out, out near Armstrong's campus. Kind of, there's the cookout, there's the cookout, the Krispy Kreme, um, there's a Pizza Hut over there, right there um, in between Largo and Mercy Boulevard. There's a drive that you can leave Abercorn and still keep driving down past all these shops. That's what it's going to look like. Yeah, down Durant yeah. Avenue. It's not. It's not going to be like traffic on Mall Boulevard leading into the Chick-fil-A. It won't be like To that. be clear, as I understand it, none of this would have been happening if they weren't already trying to fix the traffic. So them, that preceded any of the development around the globe. Was That's true. Gonna, Good point. They were going to fix the traffic. So when the city comes out and says they're going to fix this, they're going to add, I don't, I don't think it's a roundabout, but like you said, a little drive through there. Those big companies like Parker's are like, okay, let's maybe fix up this eyesore. Maybe we can make some money off of it. That's what preceded all this. But we got some small brain people out here in Savannah, dude. We got some small brains. They didn't want the globe to be fixed, dude. They didn't want the globe to stay. Size don't matter. Size don't matter. All good. I do think we have to we have to at least give Parker's uh and, and the Parker's corporation uh their I guess we gotta give them their flowers. And, and read a little bit of what well, they did the right thing. quoted as saying. Um, quote, they didn't steal the globe. So right, good. right. So here's the quote from Greg Parker, the founder and CEO of Parker's Convenience Stores. Um, quote, 
We're absolutely thrilled to develop this underutilized site and to preserve the globe, which is an iconic landmark for many Savannah residents. We listened to the public throughout the planning process and have made a significant investment to save the globe and to develop this long neglected site in a more thoughtful, strategic way. We look forward to transforming this former eyesore into a gateway to Savannah that will meet the needs of today's residents and visitors, end quote. So, Parker's, quote, preserved the globe after, quote, listening to the public throughout the planning process. Bullshit! Bullshit! You didn't listen to any of us. What you did was had your back against the wall, and like we said, you didn't want a PR nightmare, and you didn't want to spend millions to move the globe, so you left it right where it was, then came out with a nice, nice press release, which the media ate up, and now you get, not only you not only do you avoid the negative PR, you get the positive PR out of it too. So if anyone from Parker's is listening to this, come on the Hot Grits podcast. Well, they're not going to now. Tell us, tell us why you deserve the credit. Tell us how you preserved it and tell us, please, how you listened to the public. Spencer, if they don't want to come on, they don't want to come on. But what are we going to do? Bite our tongues? Yeah. No, no. I'm just saying they're not going to now. I'm not saying you were right or wrong for saying that. I'm just saying they're not going to come on now. Never say never. All right. We're going to talk NFL and the Atlanta basketball professional franchise. First, John Carr Real Estate. The number one real estate agent in the entire universe. That's the entire Milky Way galaxy. John Carr Real Estate. 912. This guy's the closer, folks. 228-0916. John Carr Realtor sold over 60 houses in the year of 2021. If you tell him the Hot Grits podcast sent you, he'll hook it up on the listing fees. If you're buying a house in Savannah or the Savannah area, you call John Carr. What if you're selling a house? Good question. You also call John Carr. What if you just want to learn more about the market? What if you're wondering if you should get into the market? You call John Carr, 912-228-0916. He helped us out this year once again with our Bowl Mania Challenge, which we will have our winner on next episode. Congrats to Ricky Wilson, at Ricky Wilson uh, on Twitter. Well, let's get his Twitter handle right, actually. Um, It's... Not in front of me, so we'll get it right on the next episode. But Ricky Wilson won going away. I think he beat um, the second-place finisher by, like, five points. Um, Spencer, I came in 30th place out of 37, so not ideal. But uh, glad, and right. thankful, glad and thankful for John Carr doing that. Uh, Mr. Wilson will receive his $150 courtesy of John Carr. Uh, we'll record that as a standalone segment and then either add it to this episode or add it to episode 99. So just to wrap up, John Carr, 912-228-0916. Spencer, I'm going to give you the choice. Um, do you want to talk Atlanta basketball franchise or do you want to talk quickly about your Falcons and their seven-win season? Well, let's. Uh, I'll keep the Falcons thing brief. So let's go there first. Uh, let's go um, there. I'm honestly happy that that bet didn't hit. Oh come on! Because the Falcons franchise had no business trying to win that game. You know what I mean? As a franchise, that's the game they win 99 times out of 100 when they have no reason to win. When the draft pick is, it's only, only. To their detriment, do they win that game? And they win that game almost always. So it seems like a small step forward for the Falcons. One small step back for me, I'll take that hit. You know what I mean? I do think, and I tweeted this out, I do think I was on the right side betting this that eight win. You know what I mean? I do think I was on the right side. I don't know how you feel about that, but they had multiple chances to get that eight win. Didn't well, I thought that they were gonna. I thought they were gonna come nowhere near the yeah. seven and a half. So, I mean, credit to you there. Um, I think this old saying goes: 
um, almost only counts in horseshoes, grenades, and over/under no, betting. Of course, I'm not. I'm not trying to tell like that. I was close to winning it. I'm just saying I feel like I was on the right betting side. I feel like, you know, I don't know. I, I guess not because there's no odds to it. But if if I had to, I was proud of that bet. I, I did see. I looked ahead of the schedule. I saw that they could win a lot. They had a lot of winnable games on their schedule. I think they got close. I'm not mad at that bet. I am mad at that franchise because it is being run into the ground currently. They got to do something with Matt Ryan. Uh, obviously, they're about to lose Calvin Ridley too, it appears, which is super, super frightening. I'm not sure how much you can get for a disgruntled star that quit on you halfway through the year. Um not a, yeah. lot going, not a lot going right in Atlanta. But, I mean, let's let's say this, though. Do we think Arthur Smith did a good job? I think Arthur Smith deserves a lot of credit. Absolutely. Who's the team MVP for this year? I see what you're doing. I'm not. I'm not Who is I'm, it? I'm not doing this. It's Cordero Patterson, and I told you from the very beginning he was their best player. I told you that from the very beginning. Um, never you doubt. give Matt Ryan some credit, too, dude. The human statue, Matt Ryan. You got to give Matt Ryan a little bit of credit. This dude won seven games with that roster. Yeah, but I mean, they, they were six. They won were significantly better when as a quarterback. They were significantly better when Patterson was on the field than when he was off the field. Absolutely, but if you look on that offense and you say, "Okay, who's their best players?" If you want to say Cordell Patterson was their best player this year, fine with that. After that, it's Matt Ryan. Then who else, dude? Because I can barely name anybody. Yeah. Honest to God. I mean, no, that's My true. They had a shitty roster. I can't believe they won seven games. I can't either. Can you believe the Dolphins fired Brian Flores? No, that was a joke. What a fucking catastrophe in South Beach. How on earth? And they're, they're going to face some, some negative PR in the coming week or so. Some pretty heavy negative PR. Brian Flores, I don't know if he is an African-American, but he definitely appears to be African-American, and that's already a talking point that African-American head coaches in the NFL don't get their just due. Uh, The guy just – what what were they, 9 and 8? Well, he is – first off, he is African-American, just to to be clear. And they started – go ahead. He's going to get a head coaching job almost immediately, but that is a terrible – terrible look that's especially when I, I think there's only like three or four african-american head coaches in the nfl and i'm not big dude you know i'm not big race guy but this is it, it is just such a idiotic move to fire your head coach after a winning season when it's not like your program it's not like you're the alabama of the of the nfl like you've been a they've been a losing franchise for a long Long time. You finally got a winner in there, and it's not like the roster is that great. So I don't know what their expectations were heading into the year, but they beat New New England twice. They swept the series with them. I, I don't know what more you want from this guy, and you get rid of him because of internal squabbles. I can tell you right now, the next week on ESPN, you will see a Stephen A. Smith. You will see these guys just absolutely roasting them for this decision. In part because he is African American, and it it is not going to be a good look for the GM, the ownership. It's going to be a terrible, terrible week for the Dolphins. So go ahead and buckle down for that news cycle. Well, it sucks being a Dolphins fan, and look, never have I ever come close to um, like completely disowning a team or like just being so disgruntled that because you can you can be pissed and and be upset and feel had like the way that the Bulldogs have made me feel in the past, but that sort of makes your fandom grow almost in, in a weird ass backwards kind of way. But this, absolutely coming from an Atlanta Hawks fan. I understand that. Right. But this is a different type of thing. This is a thing where it's like, we had it, we had something going. We understood it. We were on board as Dolphins fans with the rebuild, but now I'll never trust them again. Here's the here's um, a paragraph from NFL.com uh, talking about Flores's firing. "Quote: Palpable frustration and tension between Flores and general manager Chris Greer essentially boiled over with the Flores firing." Insider Ian Rappaport reported on Monday. 
with Ross choosing his head of player personnel, Chris Greer, over the coach his team once selected to attempt to lead the Dolphins out of the darkness that was the end of the Adam Gase era, end quote. So Flores takes the job in 2019. He goes 24 and 25 with a dismal roster, which was a terrible roster, um, oftentimes having to play guys like Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Um, I, I don't know what they could possibly be thinking this would do. And they end, it'd be different if the last game he coached was a loss. They won 33 to 24 over New England. Did they win seven of their last eight games? Yes. Yes. Unreal. Yes. Um, how about in 20 at the end of last year? They Dan were, Quinn was their head coach. They could have lost six more games and he still wouldn't have been fired. That's true. That's true. Uh, Dolphins owner, quote, I believe we have a talented young roster in place and have the opportunity to be a much better team in 2022, end quote. Idiot. What an yeah. idiot. He doesn't get it. He doesn't uh, get it or he doesn't care either way. Any thoughts about the NFL playoffs coming up? I mean, we'll get more into it as as we get closer to the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm not going to go out too far on a limb, but I'll just say NFC, I do like the Packers and the Cowboys more than the Bucks in the NFC, and I like the Chiefs um, in the AFC. What about you? Any, any teams that you like? I like the Packers. There's a lot. There's a lot going on with this Bucks team, dude. But I, I like the Packers a lot. I don't believe in the Cowboys just yet. I want to see them win one playoff game. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. Uh, no, I hear you. I'm not a huge believer in the Cowboys. I like the Rams a lot. Uh, okay. Yeah, I want to see Matt Stafford do well. I like the Rams in the AFC. I'm still not completely sold on the Chiefs this year, man. Like. They they pulled it together towards the end of the year, but I, I want to see them. I want to see Patrick Mahomes have a good playoff game as well. So I'm looking forward uh, to the NFL playoffs this year, though, despite the fact that the Falcons should be in it. Bengals winning the AFC North, trying to win their first playoff game in 100,000 years. My younger brother, Michael, will be at that game in Cincinnati. That's awesome. First round of the playoffs, um, probably going to be sub-30. This guy has no ties to Ohio, dude. Just nothing. No family. Nothing. None. Nothing going on in Ohio. Be Big became Cincinnati. a Bengals fan because of David Pollock and David Pollock only. Love it. Truly, truly a, a unique person. I make uh, fun of him for it, but I do respect it. Oh, no. Me too. Me too. Um, all right, Spencer. Well, we've I think we've put it off long enough. There is a basketball team in the city of Atlanta which yes. plays in the National Basketball Association that team's record is 17 and 20, 17 and 22. But don't worry, they've won three out of their last 10, so they're just <laughs> three and seven in their last 10. And they will do no better. They are currently a 12 seed in the Eastern Conference standings. I like them to advance up to an 11 seed, they're an 11 seed ceiling, and they'll miss the playoffs. I'm going to put this seed ceiling. I'm boycotting this team, so I'm putting them at 15, mm -hmm. the ceiling. The ceiling's 15th, last in the conference. Um, I think Trey Young quits on this team. I think John Collins has a panic attack and fights somebody in the locker room. Um, I think we bring Lloyd Pierce back for no reason. Just hire him back. And I think Travis Schlink trades everyone. Let me ask I've you this. I've never been more mad at a at a sports franchise. I've been so disappointed by this team. Uh, they're not playing hard. They've got some locker room issues going on. I'm not happy. I'm I'm obviously kidding right now. Like the 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 15 seed ceiling is a joke, but they've got to move some. They've got to move somebody. And th this team has indicated that they're going to make trades. I'll believe it when I see it because that's just not who they are. They don't. They tend not to blow it up just to make a big, splashy move. Um, a lot of people are connecting them to Ben Simmons. I think that's a joke. Please, God, let oh, that be a joke. Holy Christ, that would be a disaster. Um, I don't really see a move out there that makes them a much better team unless they can get some kind of value for Gallinari and or Cam Reddish. Um, yeah, but it's not great, man. No, They've the players they have just got to play better. 
They have to. Yeah. I mean, they're not playing well. They've also got to get healthy. It's it's clear to me that Bogdanovich is taking a step back. Gallinari is a step slower, and he was already pretty slow on defense. They're not playing hard on the defensive end. The offense has been just fine. I think they're the second best offense in the NBA right now for what that's worth. And I think like the second or third worst defense. So you, you just can't win games giving up 130 points. Something's got to change. Uh, maybe their head coach coming back from COVID protocols will help because the coaching has not been great. The lineups have not been great. Rotations have not been great. Uh, no adjustments made at halftime. In fact, they've, it seems like they get blown out in the second half. So, uh, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not at all happy with this team. We'll see though. I mean, every chance it feels every, every game they have, it feels like they have a chance to go on a run and they just, they cough it up. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I'm stunned by this team. This is the the, same team that went to the Eastern conference finals last year. Yeah, exactly. And, And look to your point about the injuries, that's all fine and well, but teams above them, in the standings are also going through significant injuries. Um, the Nets and Bulls and Bucks, I think, are all better than the Hawks, blatantly better. Yeah. So I, but they too have gone through significant injuries. Um, the Hornets, as well, above the Hawks, have gone through injuries. What about the Raptors, who have been missing their two best players for a while? They're both back. The Sixers, the Celtics, all above the Hawks, all dealing with significant injuries to one of their best players at one point or another. Um, and for the Hawks, unless it's Trey Young and or John Collins out for a significant period of time, I can't give them the injury thing. I just can't do it. You have enough pieces Dude, to be better. You have enough pieces to be better than 17 and 22. I legitimately feel bad for J- Trey Young and John Collins. I, I legitimately feel, and I know they're the two best players on the team and some kind of blame should go towards them. Some kind, I don't know, like what, how you could possibly blame two guys, like really young guys that are just producing the way they are. But John Collins, you can tell he's just begging somebody to play defense, and this is the best year he's ever played. Same with Trey Young. I mean, Trey Trey's taking a step back defensively, probably from the playoffs last year because he was decent in the playoffs, and he's a bad again this year. But there's no doubt in my mind if this Hawks team was a third seed. Or a fourth seed right now, Trey Young is getting MVP votes. So you got to feel bad for Trey on some level because he's not the problem. And I, I've never seen someone improve to the level of John Collins year to year on all aspects of his game. I mean, he can he's added a dribble, he can pass now. It, yeah, I, I really do feel sorry for them. Clint Capella's taking a step back. Like DeAndre Hunter's gone. Cam Reddish is taking a step back defensively. It's, Herder, Bogdanovich, all of them look bad. It's, it's tough, man. It's real tough. And to put it all together, they're not playing good team defense either. No, and I mean, nothing in the media would, would lead you to believe that they're starting to come together. Um, the, the upcoming schedule, Miami, Miami, New York, Milwaukee. Those are the next four. This is a crucial, crucial stretch because obviously, yeah. like we said, every single one of those teams, every one of these next four teams – is above them in the standings. Um, so, look, these next four are going to be very important for them, uh, for the Atlanta basketball franchise. Uh, what else you got? Anything else from them? No, let's go ahead and wrap up because every time you start talking, I mute my mic and I'm coughing like crazy. <laughs> How do they find you on Twitter? Well, first let me just say this. Um, we are above 400 now followers and likes on Facebook, if you can, if you're listening to this, go to go to Facebook, facebook.com slash pod. Click follow, click like, like our page. Um, and there you'll see, you'll be able to listen to every episode, but there you'll see extra clips um, and extra thoughts from us, as well as at Podcast Grits on Twitter and The Hot Grits on Instagram. Spencer, how do they find you? Follow me. At Spencer Maddox underscore, don't you dare forget that underscore. Dude, I had a tweet that I thought was going to go viral last night. Nick Saban hot seat? I thought for a second it was going to go viral. It was get, it was doing some numbers, a lot of impressions. It didn't end up going viral. I think people just don't get my humor, you know. Not yet. Good. Not yet. You just keep working on your material. Keep grinding. Nick Saban, Nick Saban hot seat? 
Next up in Hot Seat, we'll see you guys on episode 99. 99 up next. Spencer, maybe that's the lead topic. Nick Saban Hot Seat? Nick Saban Hot Seat? Find me on Twitter at Jadon Sports, at Jadon Sports on Twitter. Follow on Spotify. Subscribe. Follow on Apple Podcasts. And please, in the year 2022, tell your friends, only your cool friends, about Savannah's number one sports podcast, Hot Grits. Until episode 99, go dogs. We're national champions. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. Peace. All right, so Ricky Wilson was our winner. He's at Wilson27 on Twitter. 25-13 and 13 record, Ricky. 502 points, 92.5 percentile. Did you, have a, did you have a specific strategy going into this, or do you think it was more luck? went with my gut and kind of went back and forth changing my picks and my mind even right up to the last minute before game time um there wasn't really a strategy it was just more luck involved and uh it surely made it more uh fun watching all these games with your contest involved it was such a blast and uh, uh i might be biased as well but uh the citrus bowl was um, really on my mind, most importantly, since I'm from Iowa and all. Even though um, we lost that game, I still won it on your picks because right before game, before that Citrus Bowl, I changed it to Kentucky. <laughs> so you're an Iowa fan, but you changed your pick to Kentucky just for the bowl pick em? Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, see, that's the kind of dedication that leads you to getting $150 from John Carr realtor so you're caught so you're from or you're in iowa how, how did you learn about our our bowl challenge well um i i went on twitter and um i went to the search bar and i would punch in bowl mania contest or picks or whatnot and um actually different different like podcast or um people holding the events on there it would just come up so that's how I found you guys, and then I followed you right off the bat as well, too. So Awesome. Well, hey, we appreciate it, man. Uh, once again, he's at Wilson27 on Twitter. Do, do you have any big plans for the for the life-changing $150? Um, probably <laughs> just uh, save it to my account and wait um, about 20 more years for retirement. Yeah, that sounds good, man. <laughs> All right, well, once again, you guys, John Carr, Realtor, 912-228. 0916. Find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Tell him we sent you and he'll hook it up on the discount fees. Ricky, I know you got to get to work, um, but congrats once again, and hopefully we'll see you for our March Madness, um, our March Madness pool. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. I couldn't have done it without you guys. <laughs> awesome, Ricky. Take care, buddy. You too. Bye. Savannah Baseball Performance Academy at 5 Mall Terrace in Savannah is a climate-controlled environment with high-tech technology for baseball and softball players looking to improve their game. It's not just for memberships, although they offer great memberships. You can come in one time, use the batting cages, pay the fee, and leave. Our guy Ross Howard has really a unique thing going and something that Savannah has been missing for a long time sbpasports.com sbpasports.com 